This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's Rico Daily. I'm Adam Clark Estes. If you're a parent or a dog owner, you've probably found yourself in this next scenario. It's a nice day out, so you let your kid or your pup play outside for a little while. But when you look out the window, you see something suspicious. They're chewing, and whatever it is in their mouth, it didn't come from you. It looks like something they picked up off the ground. So you rush outside and take a closer look, and it's a white mushroom. You have no idea whether it's poisonous or not. It's a scary feeling, and unfortunately, the usual poison control hotlines don't always give you answers as soon as you need them. They might leave you on hold for hours or just direct you to their email or website. Luckily, there's an online group that's filling in those gaps. Reporter Chia Yi Ho has been talking with folks from that growing community. They work day and night to identify plants and fungi that could be dangerous. She's here to tell us about it. Chia Yi, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. So you've been talking to the members of this group Poisons Help for a little while. Can you describe them for us? Sure. Similar to a lot of other interest groups, they gathered online because of their shared interest in plants and fungi. They like to talk to each other about things that they've seen in their foraging experience when they go out and look for mushrooms. So a lot of groups popped up on Facebook for the purpose of sharing things like photos and descriptions of specimens that they've seen. And sometimes they may not know what the species is. So they'll post something and say like, hey, I saw this today. Does anyone know what this is? So this group first started with a handful of fungi experts who wanted to make a group for the purpose of dealing with emergency cases. So Carrie Woodfield, one of the main founders... She started the group, and she's sort of the de facto leader. There are now over 200 admins who help with plant and fungi identification. The membership of the group has grown a lot this year. So when I first started talking to people from this group back in May or June, there were maybe 60,000 members in the group, and now there's more than 100,000 people in the group. People who are in the group might join because they just like watching what's happening. They might have had a case where they needed to post in the group and then they stayed on. There are also medical and health experts who are part of the group, emergency department technicians and vet technicians who post on behalf of their patients, or they may recommend their patients to join the group and post themselves. Can you walk us through that process, you know, specifically the process of helping someone identify a plant or fungus and if it's poisonous? Yeah, so the group does have guidelines for how to post. They'll ask for information like geographical location, time since ingestion, if there was ingestion, symptoms, if there are any, and a photo. That's the really important part. The admins 
cannot do very much without a photo, so that's really important. The admins may also come back and say, can you show us a different part of the specimen? So if it's a plant, they may ask for a photo of the stem instead of the leaves, or they may ask for a photo of the roots, or if it's a mushroom, they'll ask for a photo of underneath the cap. In the case of plants, if there are fruits like berries, they might ask them to slice that in half as well. So the admins will come back and ask for more information if they think they can't make an identification without what's presented. Do you have a sense if this is sort of happening in real time? I imagine that time is of an essence if a poisonous mushroom or, or plant has been ingested. Yeah, totally. As soon as someone posts in the group, it goes through a process where one of the group admins will release it to be published. And then the admins who work on either plants or mushrooms will get pinged, whether it's a plant or a mushroom, and then they can go and take a look. If you go into the group, you'll see that admins will start commenting on those posts within seconds. But it almost sounds like these volunteers are on call if something happens, they need to be able to respond quickly. And that sounds like it could be a lot of pressure. Did you get an idea of how the folks in the group, especially the admins, responded to that? Were people getting burnt out? Yeah, I heard that a lot from many of the admins, that they occasionally get burned out and they have to take a step back from working on the cases. There's just such a high volume of cases that are coming in that it can become wearisome to get these notifications constantly, basically. So not everyone is super active. There are a lot of admins who choose not to get the notifications, and then they may get involved if they are tagged on specific cases. Out of the more than 200 admins, maybe about 20 to 30 are the most active core group who get all the ping notifications, and then the rest may come in case by case if their expertise is needed on a specific case. What do you have to do to become an admin? Do you have to apply? Do you need credentials? How does that process work? You don't need credentials to be an admin, but they do look for people who have a good track record for identification. So you might see that people are recruited from other identification groups on Facebook. People may talk to each other and recommend people that they know. What are the downsides of doing all this on Facebook? There are a few. So one of the downsides is that there's a lack of perceived legitimacy with being on Facebook. So if you go to the vet and say, I went on Facebook and these people told me that it's probably this. If the vet doesn't particularly know about this group, they may not trust it. There are other issues also with the platform itself. Facebook does not allow group admins to limit who is allowed to post comments on a post. So sometimes people will post before a case is closed, they'll post a comment, and they're not an admin, and that kind of mucks up the process a little bit. There's also been cases where specific posts or specific comments on posts have been flagged as inappropriate by Facebook, and they're not inappropriate. So some of the admins are worried that if enough of these posts are flagged as inappropriate, that the group could get automatically shut down. And of course, this group is not a certified poison control team, but what is their success rate like? 
Yeah, from all the posts that I've looked through, most of them get identified down to at least a family level, maybe not all the way down to a species level, but most of the cases get some kind of identification information. There is one person named Sarah Hunter who posted recently their child, who is about five years old, got into some mushrooms in their yard. And this was during a period where there was a lot of rainfall that week, so mushrooms had popped up. Hunter's wife found the child with the mushrooms in their mouth and immediately took them out. So they were trying to figure out after that if the mushrooms were poisonous or not. Hunter called Poison Control to find out, and they were given an email address where they could send the photo of the mushrooms, but they were told that it could take a couple hours for a response to come in. So Hunter went to Facebook and posted this on their personal Facebook page, trying to look for help from any of their contacts that might see it. One of their friends told them, hey, you should check out this Facebook group. They can help with identifications. So Hunter went into the group, joined the group, posted their photo with some of the details, and then within seconds, some of the admins were posting, oh, I think this is coprenoids. After a few more admins confirmed, they closed the case, and luckily it was non-toxic, it was not poisonous. Later that day, Hunter got a phone call from the poison control contact, saying that the mushrooms were not poisonous. But that was hours after they already knew from the Facebook group that it was not. Why do you think that that initial reach out wasn't very successful? What's wrong with poison control and the infrastructure as we currently understand it? So when they reached out to poison control, they got an email address where they could send a photo. And so that was helpful, but it did take a while for that response to come back. They sent that in the afternoon to the email address they got from poison control and they didn't hear back. They got a phone call back in the evening. So that was several hours later. And in the case of poisonings, that could be very precious time where you could take action to prevent illness from the poison. Poison control centers in the U.S., when you call the 1-800 number, you get directed to the nearest poison control center. And there are 55 of them in the U.S. And you get directed to a center according to your area code which nowadays with people using mobile phones, it may not necessarily be where they are physically located. So that's kind of where some interesting nuances may play into this. So if you're calling from, say, a California number, but you're actually living in New York now, your geography is going to be different. You might be getting different mushrooms in that geography than in California. Also, not every single state has a poison control center. For example, Dr. Kelly Johnson-Arbor, who I spoke to for the story, she grew up in Alaska, and Alaska is covered by a poison control center that's located in Oregon. So you can kind of see how the geography makes it a little bit more complex in terms of identifying species. Is poison control for humans typically government-run, or are they government-funded agencies or nonprofits? How does that work? Poison control for humans is government-run. Whereas poison control for pets is not government run and it's actually you have to pay for those services. There are a few companies that operate in the U.S. and they do charge for their services. I actually learned that the hard way. Uh, my 
my dog ate a whole bunch of raisins, which dogs are not supposed to have. And we called poison control and they actually made us give them a credit card number before we could even proceed to the diagnostic part. And then it did ultimately end up taking, I want to say at least a couple hours before we got it resolved, but the dog was fine. Poison control was helpful, but I would not call it a real-time experience, which it sounds like that's what this Facebook group has become. Do you think that this could be a viable model for the future of poison control, something that's more crowdsourced and hopefully more timely? Yeah, I think this Facebook group model could work for a lot of people in the long run. It's accessible. People can get on there, post a photo, add some details, and then in a few moments get a response. I think the issues in running it on a social media platform might threaten the long-term sustainability of doing it online. There's also the issue of as you increase the volume of posts, then you'll need more admins. You'll need more identifiers. And there may not be enough of those available who have time, who have energy, and who have the knowledge to contribute. Do you think that in the future there might even be a, a technology solution here? Like, I know that you can get an app on your phone that uses AI to identify plants. Could this sort of tech come in handy for poison control? Yeah, that's tricky. I think it's potentially possible in the future. But with a lot of fungi and plants, there are just so many nuances and little differences between species that it's really hard to put that into an app. It really sometimes it takes someone who knows the minor differences to take a look to really have a positive, well-informed identification. Chai, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to Rico Daily. This episode was produced by Alan Rodriguez Espinosa and Tori Dominguez. It was engineered by Melissa Ponce from Hemlock Creek Productions. <laughs>